Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a special guest who's also a dear friend, and she's written an essay on yoga. Her name is Ray Darabont, and I want to get into her essay, what she says about yoga, the dangers of it uh, as a Christian, and also get into her personal story, how she kind of got swept up into yoga when she was in her 20s and how she got out of that. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome, Ray. Hi, Beckett. So good to see you, brother. Good to see you. I forgot to mention in the intro that you are in seminary now at my alma mater, Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, and you're getting your... Correct me if I'm wrong. You're getting your master's in apologetics, correct? That's right. That's right. So you wrote this this essay, this paper on yoga, which is really great. Um, and I want to get into that. And I want to, at first, I, I want to talk about what yoga is. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot, I mean, I think a lot of people don't really know really what it is, what it is, where it came from, how it came to the U.S., and then at the end, like I said in the in the intro, at the end, I want to get into your personal story of yoga and how you got kind of wrapped up in that in your 20s and how you escaped. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so first, let's talk about what is yoga? That's a great question. The history of yoga is sprawling. It's fascinating. It's basically the story of Hinduism, which if we start there, yoga is a spiritual practice of Hinduism, which is, I really like how Houston Smith describes Hinduism. He's a, he's like the world expert in world religions, but Hinduism is the oldest set of religions. So it's this ancient, it comes out of ancient India, but it's this group of different religions, indigenous religions, and there's not really a consensus on the origin of it, but it's got some factors that are common to it. Like this idea of it's a monistic religion. It's an idea of all is one and one is all Um, this idea of there being an ultimate reality that unifies everything Um, that ultimately does not have distinctions or dualism. There are some forms of yoga that have dualism, like bhakti yoga you may have heard of, and we can get into that in a second. But ultimately, behind all of these different expressions of Hinduism, of which yoga is the spiritual practice, its aim or goal is to join human beings to an ultimate impersonal reality called Brahman. Mm-hmm. So um, yoga is the way to remove human distraction or the grime 
that covers up this ultimate reality that's already flowing through all of us and help us to join ourselves and sort of melt and blend ourselves into this ultimate reality or ultimate consciousness. Right. You mentioned, you just said it was monistic, but isn't, isn't Hinduism just a pantheon of millions of gods? Isn't. Yeah. This is the fascinating thing about Hinduism because there's the answer is yes. Like it's kind of everything. Um, in terms of polytheism, yeah, there are expressions. I mean, people have probably heard of uh, Sh- Shiva and Ganesha and these Hindu deities, but it's also pantheistic in the sense that instead of there being separate gods, and I think this is really more what's behind all of that ultimately, everything dissolves into an ultimate reality. And mm-hmm. there's different... Um, Mythology is a huge thread of Hinduism. So there's a lot of storytelling, um, especially in the Bhagavad Gita. You'll find these stories, these colorful stories. There's storytelling that conveys different ideas or truths, and it's mythological. So it's not like the historic Christian faith, which is rooted in the events of world history. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mythology uh, right. used to express things in Hinduism, yeah. Yeah. And so, and then how did yoga, you, I think in your essay, you talk about in the early, I think it's the early 20th century yoga came to the U S someone, I forgot who his name, uh, oh. I think it's para, para, yeah, but yeah, yoganda. What the, how do you Paramahansa. <laughs> I know it's great. Uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. So that's actually a great place to pick up the thread when it comes to yoga, since it's got such a long, long background. I think it, goes back 5,000 years or more in ancient India. But for clarity, for today's conversation, it's best to pick it up when it comes to America. Yeah, And there's a few names that you'll come across when you start reading about Hinduism and yoga as a part of Hinduism. Uh, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, was in the 1920s, early 1900s, Uh, He's the founder of the Self-Realization Fellowship, which I used to pray in their gardens and go meditate in their gardens. I lived in Hollywood. I lived several blocks away from one of their temples and several blocks away from the Scientology Center. (laughs) So there was a lot going on in my neighborhood. But Wait, so that I, center is here? Uh, that's in Hollywood? They're really all over the place. They're okay. all over the country, but... Uh, some of their flagships of the Self-Realization Fellowship, definitely Los Angeles. Of course, Los Angeles. Where For else? sure, of course. So he was in the 1920s, but let's back up even more. Um, the late 1800s was when Swami Vivekananda came over from India. And this guy is very important. He was uh, a Hindu monk and he was frustrated with how Christian missionaries were representing or how he felt they were representing his religion. He was also very intrigued and um, attracted to the wealth that was in America. So he came over and many of you may know the, the world's fair. I think it's the world Columbian exhibition in, uh, in Chicago in 1893, the world's fair, this huge right. event. Uh, The first Ferris wheel was built there and um, it brought all these cultures together. And that was sort of his debut. So he came over and he captivated audiences there. And he was very savvy, very intelligent, very charismatic. And that sort of started things on a different level. But one more thing we'll do is back up to the first yogi. And this is important for our conversation today. The first yogi in America, a lot of people think is Henry David Thoreau or Thoreau uh, of the transcendentalists, you know, kind of the fathers of what we know now is the new thought movement. Again, it's a bunch of different um, outposts, but it's kind of like the church of Oprah stuff, Deepak Chopra stuff, mind cure, mind science stuff, but they were very explicitly against biblical authority and historic Christianity. 
and they were very entranced by um, Hinduism, essentially, and Brahman and this ultimate reality. So Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau really were kind of the first ones to dabble in this. And Thoreau is kind of known as the first uh, yogi in America. And wow. that was I didn't know that early 1800s. Yeah. Um, there's a great, a great book, you guys, a great uh, history of yoga that will illuminate a lot of the things we're going to talk about. And also from my testimony, but Stephanie Simon, I can wholeheartedly recommend it if you're interested. It's called the subtle body, how yoga came to America. Mm. But there you go. So the, the final thing I'd love to say about this Beckett is, so there's several different people that were credited with bringing yoga here and popularizing it. And they had students and different people that would popularize what they were doing. But what I noticed when I was researching these guys, three things stood out to me and I can't really shake it. And the first thing that stood out to me was that there was a deliberate decision to hide the fine print. Mm -hmm. So as they brought Hinduism over and it's documented and Simon does a great job. There was this idea of what really is going on behind this yoga practice is going to scare the Americans. It's too much. They're not ready for it. So we're going to keep that back mm -hmm. and we're going to soft sell it. And they were very intelligent businessmen and teachers. So that was common to all of these different guys at slightly different times. The second thing that's very interesting to me is that there was a conscious decision to link the practice of yoga with an already wild, widely accepted public idea, and that was the industry of health and wellness. Mm -hmm. So instead of here's our religious practice, it was here's a tool for health. Here's a way to calm your anxiety. Here is a way to help you stay trim. You want to sleep better, lose some weight. This is just a tool that's right. going to help you. Americans love health. And they clicked into that really quickly. And the third thing that this might be the most interesting one to me is they studied Christian evangelists and they were very entranced with their ability to connect with audiences and preach. And they took words that they knew Christian America felt comfortable with. And they substituted words from Hinduism that they thought might be too unfamiliar or scary. And they traded out the words to make this idea more palatable to Americans. Of course, their meaning of these words and the Christian meaning of these words are different, but there was this sort of kind of bait and switch thing happening to help their cause. We'll be right back after this short break. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and you talk about in the essay, you talk about the difference between Brahman and Asana. What, what is yeah. Asana yoga? Yeah. Great question. So yoga is sort of this umbrella term of all these different practices that lead the individual to realize um, Atman or their ultimate self dissolving into Brahman, the ultimate reality. So think of like a drop of water going into the ocean. We're the drop of water and then we go into the ocean and we dissolve into the ocean. Like the distinctions that make us individuals go away and we're absorbed back into this um, universal ultimate thing. So yoga is whatever aims at that and helps the human achieve that. What we're used to seeing in America is asana and pranayama, which asana is postures, the physical postures, typically okay. what we've come to think of it as now in modern yoga, you know, the, the downward the, dog. Yeah, the, that's right. Whatever else there are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that, <laughs> is what we would think of now as, as asana and pranayama, which is the breathing that okay. accompanies the physical movement. And 
there's different forms of yoga. That's a whole other conversation. But in terms of what we're used to seeing in America, the, you know, the yoga classes, the things that I got into that many of um, our friends here with us today may have experienced or might be into now. Hi guys, by the way, didn't say hi. Um, <laughs> would be um, asana linked with pranayama. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I, you know, I, I went, I, years ago, I was in a couple of yoga classes. I it never, I never could get into yoga because it was too painful. <laughs> like the stretching, <laughs> I didn't like it at all. It was so uh, brutal. And, um, <clears throat> but what, but I remember the teacher saying at the beginning or at the end, I can't remember, but what is, what does namaste mean? Yeah. So essentially it's, the divinity in me or of me bows to the divinity in or of you. So it's basically this idea that we all have a divine spark. We are all, all is one and one is all God is all and all is God, except remember, it's not really the idea of God that we have in a Christian understanding. It's more of an impersonal ultimate consciousness. It's this idea of divinity that's within all of us. Yeah. And, um, so, so saying that, that word namaste is almost like a benediction in a way at the yeah. end of, of yoga. And yeah, so it's very sacred, it's a very sacred word. Yeah. And that's what I think. I mean, I, I don't know if that, if that word is, is said in every yoga class. Um, I'm assuming it is. I've never, I was never in one where it wasn't, it's like the standard yeah. way to end. So yeah, it's it's very uh, sketchy. So I want to ask you about this this one quote in your essay on page four. You say that uh, the the director for the Hindu American Foundation. I can't say his name; it's too difficult to say. But you say uh, he says, "quote In practicing the universally applicable core concepts of Hinduism, code word yoga, a Christian can come closer to Christ, a Jew closer to Yahweh." a Muslim closer to Allah. What is, so talk about that for a sec. I can give you my take on it based on (laughs) what I've, what I've, what I've read and researched. Remember the belief here in Hinduism is that there are no distinctions, but that there is an ultimate reality. And if we could just get past the categories and distinctions and noise that obscures that fact, we would know our true self and we would know true reality. Mm-hmm. So, and I, this even came up in my research with some of the early guys that brought yoga to America, they would use the familiar ideas um, in order to bring people in and sort of help their guard come down. Right. But the idea seems to be that this is the true universal faith or universal reality. And as you practice, these distinctions will soften and dissolve and you will see what reality is. And so to say that a Christian can come closer to Christ, a Jew closer to Yahweh or a Muslim closer to Allah I would understand that more within the established belief system of Hinduism. Um, One of the early guys in the 1920s, he started a a yoga school in New York. His name was um, Pierre. Oh gosh. Last name, Bernard, Pierre Bernard. Mm -hmm. And by the way, his story kind of reads like the headlines of the Nexium sex cult, Keith Raniere. Oh, right. There's a lot of sexual predation in the story of yoga because it's amoral, essentially. Remember, if we dissolve distinctions, we cannot distinguish between good and evil. Yeah, there was a documentary. Did you see that? Doc- I forgot what oh, yeah. Yogi was. Some, and he was like molesting all of his students. <laughs> I can't remember the name of that, that guy. Yeah, Nexium. Nexium. Oh. Keith Ranieri. That was the most recent one that I I know about. But again, it was that idea and it ties into your question. He had the same thing that was going on with this early uh, Swami, uh, 
Hindu teacher in America, which is that as you advance and as you mature, you get to go into the inner circle and then you get secret knowledge. Right. And then you advance into an inner inner circle where you have even more secret knowledge and what's in the inner inner circle, at least in this guy's case, and there's many other documented cases of this is ceremonial sex. And back in the 1920s, obviously premarital sex was a very quick way to completely ruin a single woman's reputation. Mm -hmm. And so it was very clever how this happened. I mean, he had legal charges brought against him for sex trafficking for doing this. Um, right. Bringing these women in to the secret knowledge and the secret knowledge is ritualized or ceremonial yoga sex. Is so, this, wait, is this the same guy? Cause I, I'm getting confused because I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm talking about the guy who started, I think he started Bikram yoga is the one who, so that's another one. I wasn't talking about him. He's much more recent. Yeah. But, Cause I saw a documentary on him and he was crazy and like taking advantage of all of his female students. And yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, Bikram mm -hmm. Chaudhry, uh, Chaudhry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who started Bikram yoga, which is sort of the hot yoga, the hot yoga, right. The father of hot yoga. So, yeah, <laughs> so and that's as if yoga is not hard enough, then you have to bring in like this heat, like yeah, crazy. Super, okay. Super hot. Um, Becky, did I answer your, your question about the, I just think, I think it is a misleading claim. I think there's more philosophically behind that claim than meets the eye because remember the aim of yoga is to dissolve these distinctions, not to bring you closer to a deity or to a God, because you are God. You already right. are. What it's trying to teach you is that if you would just remember that you are already divine and you already have all of the ultimate reality that exists in you already. Yeah. That's and, what yoga is attempting to help you find. And you mentioned too, in the essay, this goes along with this whole thing is that the, the, this Catholic professor of theology at St. Paul university, Fabrice Blay or Blee, I don't yeah. know how to say his last name. Yeah. He says that you talk about how his language and you can maybe tell us what this language is, but how his language betrays the impersonal Hindu concept of divinity cloaked in Christian terminology. Yeah. So remember, that was the third thing I mentioned a second ago, where there were these words being used interchangeably to try to bring people in so that they would feel comfortable. So he was a proponent of this. Uh, Blay. Yeah. Uh, well, what, what Blay, what I find really interesting about Blay is, is I was reading his his stuff in the literature, I was reading his, um, his work. I started thinking that this transformation is already underway of his belief system eroding and changing into this monistic Hinduistic belief system. And he doesn't seem to realize it. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there is kind of a, a blending of things and he, um, for example, we'll quote him and you might put it up later. Um, BKS Iyengar, I mean, I used to do Iyengar classes. He's one of the really known names in yoga. He's one of the main yoga teachers that we still practice some of his stuff today. Some people do. Um, and what Blay wrote about him is uh, very telling. Although his language, Iyengar, he's talking about Iyengar, although his language does indicate a personal God, who was free to act and bless at will, the focus of Mr. Iyengar's yoga was always on one's effort in practicing the asanas or the postures to bring about liberating awareness and little mention is made of prayer or the need for God's grace to advance in the spiritual life. Here, devotion to God seems entirely optional. With this focus on yoga practice and meditation, the personal interactive Lord seems to fade into the background. And that's what I was getting at earlier. I think that's the aim. And one more thing on that, the gentleman I mentioned a second ago, Pierre 
uh, Bernard that had the sex scandals and the legal issues. There's documentation of him in his writings talking about this, you know, like the immature, low-level yoga practitioners are the ones that need this dual idea of a loving God. And he had disdain for that. And that's very common. It's like, as you mature, you realize you don't need right. an idea of God. Right. We want to dissolve that so that you can mature and realize that you already are. And there's an ultimate reality that you need to just release yourself into. So I don't know if that's exactly what you were asking, but I find that important. Yeah. And you, you talk about that. You use the term religious duplicity in your essay. Can, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So with Blay, who, we, who I just mentioned, um, when I say he's writing as a Christian and the article that I was referencing in my essay is where he's building a case for postural yoga for Christians. He's building a case that this can benefit Christians in the Christian life. But reading a, a, another short quote, I think will illus illustrate the answer to your question. When I say religious duplicity, mm -hmm. brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to this quote. And I think this will capture what I mean. Okay. Blaise's final appraisal of how he believes yoga can benefit Christians is this. This is his quote. Christian practice requires repentance, which is the recognition of one's faults in order to implore in all humility, the grace without which no salvation is possible. I would say amen to that. <laughs> yeah. He goes on. This attitude, Blay writes, may have given undue importance to guilt. Yoga presents itself as an alternative by placing emphasis not on guilt, but on consciousness. So the approach here is positive. The human is divine. All that is needed is to realize this. Performing the asanas is a step towards this realization. And the influence of yoga on the way a Christian regards the search for a more positive vision of human nature is certainly beneficial. Wow. That's what I mean by spiritual duplicity. Yeah. That is not the gospel. Yeah. And you, you say that, you know, cause a lot of Americans and, and even American Christians think that I'm, you know, yoga and we can get into, uh, we can get into kind of the idea of the, the you, you talk about the three benefits of, of, of abstaining from yoga as a Christian, but a lot of American Christians think that yoga is just physical activity and, and it's just kind of this kind of healthy, as you said, and, you know, earlier, it's just yeah. this healthy thing to do, but it's actually pretty dangerous and pernicious to right? Yeah. Well, first I would, I would just want to encourage, and this is a great moment to do it. So if you're here with us today and you are a follower of Christ and you've been in yoga classes or it's part of your life, there's no word of condemnation being spoken over you. There is no discouragement that you should feel. I have, <laughs> I <laughs> have been through this. I've been in every yoga class I think they ever had in LA. Uh, so really my heart bringing to this conversation. And I thought about this so much back and prayed about this so much before we talked is we want to have the utmost vibrancy in our relationship with the Lord. We want to have a maximally empowered gospel witness. And I mm -hmm. think this conversation is an important part for some of us. So I just ask that you would just prayerfully consider and digest some of the stuff we're talking about today. If it's new to you, um, it was new to me. It took me a while to have this conversation, but for the Christian who uses yoga, as you said, for physical benefit, um, again, one that's coming from a good impulse to take care of our bodies that are good, that God made mm -hmm. that uh, they're a gift to us. So that's a good impulse. Um, 
But when it comes to exercise, I've noticed this happen a lot, Beckett, in our country. It's like a logical fallacy um, affirming the consequent. And it goes like this. Yoga is stretching. So stretching is yoga. Mm -hmm. And it's a fallacy because the second part, the consequence isn't true. Stretching isn't yoga. Exercise isn't yoga. Yoga is a spiritual Hindu practice. worship. It's the spiritual practice of Hinduism and exercise is exercise. Yoga is yoga. So I think we've gotten confused. I mean, your doc, many doctors will be like, oh, your blood pressure is high. You should do yoga. It's just this quick I know. way. It's, uh, it's everywhere. It's, yeah. It's, my, I think my doctor told me that recently. Yeah. Right. It's everywhere. Yoga. And because we haven't really probed the depth of this very deeply, we don't think of the risks or the pitfalls that are inherent with this idea. Um, to the Christian who says, I just do yoga for exercise, I would ask, why not do exercise for exercise? Mm -hmm. For two main reasons that come to mind. The first is, and this is really huge. The Lord really convicted me of this. When people look at our lives, hopefully they see some fruit of the spirit. They see evidence that we live in the kingdom of God. There, there may be some peace or some joy that they respond to in us. Mm -hmm. People are looking, especially now, it feels like more than ever, they're looking for hope. They're looking for life. They're looking for peace. And if they see that in our lives, but then we're going off to the yoga studio or they know that's part of our life habit or life practice practice that's a confusing message to send right oh okay she does yoga maybe i should do yoga um and we just don't know who's watching so confusing other people is i think the number one question i would raise if it's just exercise that's an issue but the second one is one I had never thought of before, but I'd like to raise it um, again from the Hindu American Foundation. I was really convicted by um, this quote from one of the, the leaders there. He said, yoga is an integral part of Hindu philosophy. It's not simply physical exercise mm -hmm. in the form of asana and pranayama. It is in fact a Hindu way of life. And then he goes on to talk about how this ubiquitous use of the word yoga to describe what is actually asana exercise isn't only misleading, but it's also fueling a problematic delinking of yoga from Hinduism. And they feel that their culture or their, their religious form of worship is being offered up to the altar of crass commercial commercialism. So it's like, oh, I'm going to take what you, you use as worship in your culture. And this is just, I'm going to just tone my thighs with it with no understanding of where it comes from. Right. It's a $9 billion a year industry in the United States. Right. So, you know, cultural sensitivity is really important for Christians to have. I mean, <laughs> we want to love our neighbors and we have a lot of different backgrounds represented in our neighbors. So when I realized that that was a sentiment held by those of the Hindu background, I was like, okay, I don't think I can, I don't know. I just don't think you can defend that as a loving thing to do, do exercise. What do you think Beckett? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, um, I think that it's, it's a, it's a bad, I think it's not a great, it's not a good witness as a Christian to be, you know, walking down the street with your yoga mat, going to your class. Um, because it, as you said, it is confusing to people and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
I've I've heard this before. I don't know if it's true, but even the poses in asana um, are the poses themselves an act of worship. Yeah, this just occurred to me this week while I was uh, praying through this and getting ready for our conversation. Um, yes, but even more so. So guys, I know this is a lot. There's been a lot already, but <laughs> just hang with me right now. This is really, really simple. Okay. It all comes down to this in yoga, which is part of Hinduism. The physical is the spiritual. The physical is the expression of the religion. So there's not really a yoga practice that can be separated out from Hinduism. And here's the simple thing to focus in on. When you are practicing yoga, you are taking your body and your breath and you are moving through um, blending with other forms, right? So you're taking your body and you're breathing your body into a different shape that represents uh, idols or trees or anything. I mean, anything is divine. Anything is God in right. this pantheistic thing, but you're moving your body. You're flowing through these different poses and that is the exact physical representation of the philosophy itself. And you're putting that in your muscle memory. It's, it's reminding that me. in your muscles. Yeah. It reminds me of Romans one, exchanging the truth for a lie and, and worshiping, worshiping the creature or created things rather than the creator. Yeah. That, when you just said that about, you know, trees and stuff like it, that, that, that's kind of what it sounds like. That's a really good point. Well, yeah, I mean, the uh, the ultimate reality is in the tree. Divinity is in the tree. Divinity right. is in, right. So it's like you're you're practicing. The word yoga means to yoke, to bind, also to control. So you are yoking and binding and creating a union with all these other things, Um you know, there's a, there's a, and I referenced this in my paper um, and this one, like the Dallas Willard book center award um, it's called, you are what you love. Something about understanding the, it's about the power of habit. I have it and we can link it here. Here it is. You are what you love. The spiritual power of habit by James K. A. Smith. Um He's an evangelical writer. You can read about it on the Gospel Coalition. And it's more about our worship and stuff. But he does make the point that we have underestimated the potential for habit to shape our beliefs. Mm -hmm. And knowing all this backstory with the yoga practice as you're moving your body and breathing into these things, I really don't think you can make a credible case that it's exercise only, even if in your mind, that's how you're thinking of it. Right. There's a lot more loaded into it. Right. And what was surprising too, in your essay was that, uh, you, you mentioned Wheaton college, which is an evangelical college. And they apparently, uh, they had a, they issued a four page position statement to reassure fellow evangelicals that the college has redeemed yoga from its non-Christian roots. What say you? About <laughs> okay. This? Okay. So first of all, you guys, in this essay, I I basically approach three different arguments that Christians might use to defend their practice of yoga. And by the way, I'm talking to myself in this essay, and we'll get into my testimony in a minute. But I was really interested in kind of the mental gymnastics I did to <laughs> kind of justify my yoga practice for so long. So uh, we kind of, we already talked about a couple of them, the, the exercise only argument, it's just exercise. Um, we talked about the second one sort of in the context of if there are some benefits, like 
it helps a Christian be closer to Christ or, mm-hmm. you know, um, if there are some spiritual elements to it, I'm just going to harness it in my walk with the Lord. I'm just going to let that help me be a Christian. That's the other argument. Mm-hmm. This argument that you're bringing up Beckett is about the idea of I'm going to take yoga and redeem it or remake it into a Christian image. I'm going to take this practice and I'm going to make it Christian Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a fundamental part of my life. And it's going to help me be a Christian. And, um, and that's what Wheaton said in that statement that you just read. It acknowledges that yoga needed redemption because it is undeniably rooted in Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it goes on to say, but it can, if we redeem it, it can help Christians. So it goes back to that other argument it can help us be better Christians and manifest the fruit of the spirit. Interesting thing though, about that. Don't you think that if something could help us manifest the fruit of the spirit, it would be in God's word. Yeah. Like if something was going to help us be better or this, followers of Jesus. The, or just like simply as you talk about in your essay, the Christian spiritual disciplines, you know, fasting, praying, reading your Bible, memorizing scripture, like those yeah. kinds of practices. I mean, go on a run, go on a jog, do, you know, some rowing machine or elliptical, and then do, do these spiritual Christian spiritual practices. Yeah. And stretch guys. And that's the thing. Like, Stretch your bodies and we'll get into this with my testimony. I know. I need to stretch my body. I have, by the way, guys, I have a frozen shoulder. Please pray for me. Um, we do need I, to need to, I need to stretch all the time because I'm my body is falling apart. But oh, anyway, go ahead. Oh, Beckett. Um, yeah, we'll get into that because I'm an athlete. A lot of you are athletes. Hang in there. Don't leave. Don't leave quite yet because I, I really want to speak to the athletically minded and the physically minded among us because that's me too. Um, and there's a lot of surprising things I learned in that journey, but real quick back, back to this thing about redeeming yoga. Mm -hmm. This is a little bit of a stretch and I'm still developing this in my graduate work, but hang with me because I think it's important. You've talked a lot about postmodernism, um, throughout your, your show. And so we have, I mean, Elisa Childer's ministry talking about progressive Christianity and this reconstruction thing of we're going to do away with the historic biblical essence of the faith and reconstruct something more in tune with my desires and my perspective and my experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's that postmodernist idea of constructing meaning Mm -hmm. relative to the individual or the community. So we're concerned rightfully about that. But for a Christian to say, I'm going to take the spiritual practice of another religion and I'm going to make it a Christian practice. Maybe it's just me, but that kind of looks and feels like the same thing. It is. It's postmodernist. It's, it's right. A, yeah, it's like redefining uh, terms and re- kind of re um, kind of negotiating something to to fit to your own needs or your own self. Yeah. 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 So I I, I just say, uh oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> By the way, I mean the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me, but no big deal. Um, so let's get into your personal story. You know, you grew up as a Christian, you grew up Christian and you moved to Los Angeles, I think in your, well, you can get, you can tell us, but, and then tell us about that. You, you moved to LA. How old were you when you moved to LA? Yeah. So I did. I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, there were some legalistic elements of that environment and I don't want to put my walking away entirely on them because there was a lot of pride and a lot of selfish ambition in my decision to just go to the arts. Right. Um, I moved to Hollywood, uh, right after undergrad, uh, and I had a, 
professional acting career in LA for about 10 years. And during that time, yeah, I, I was totally open to wherever I perceived life to be. I had made this decision to leave dead religion behind or what I perceived to be dry or dead religion. And I wanted life. I wanted the experience of life and I was seeking truth. I was definitely seeking truth, but, um, a certain kind of truth, right. That kind of fit me and made me feel the way I wanted to feel. So fast forward, I was, um, in my twenties, uh, building my career and working and I'd always had anxiety, but I just remember like thinking you've got to do something. So Christianity's out. That didn't work. Obviously. Um, you've got to do something. And in LA and I, it's everywhere across the country, but especially in LA, right? Beckett yoga is big business. It is everywhere. It's just kind of a given. There's like like 10 yoga studios in my neighborhood right here. Oh yeah. You just have a yoga practice and given the job that I was in, you know, every actor, every performer has one. It keeps you in shape. It keeps you flexible. It gives you, um, apparently it gives you an ability to have mental peace and high pressure performance situations, which actually wasn't really the case, but that's what it's advertised to do. Mm -hmm. So I got very deeply into this world and I went to a class at the YMCA, like the, the local version of that. Cause you'll hear that too. Um, you know, our leaders in the church and stuff, I've heard a lot of, of brothers say, you know, yeah, I think it's fine as long as you just do it for exercise and just, you know, do it like in a gym and don't get too weird with it. Right. It's kind of, <laughs> just don't get too yeah. weird with it. Um, so I did, I did, I did like an exercise class, but the spiritual elements were undoubtedly present and that's what hooked me. And it was very light and simple, but it was so attractive And I went to the studios for more class options and more scheduling options. And Beckett, I remember like the first couple months that I really started entering the yoga world in Los Angeles that like became the center of my life. I remember telling people, it feels like dancing a prayer. Mm -hmm. It just it's almost like you're stoned. And I, I can say that because I worked in the marijuana dispensaries for years. I knew what that was like. Um, it does something. And by the way, there's a very interesting link between yoga and the counterculture and um, hallucinogenics. And that's a whole other conversation. But the way yoga like made my mind feel, mm-hmm. it was like I was stoned. But here's the interesting thing then it felt like over time, my anxiety was getting worse. So I'm like chasing yoga to help the anxiety. But then when that wears off, the anxiety comes back worse. And then you go back and do yoga. And so it just became this crazy thing where I was probably practicing three hours a day. Wow. um, 90 minutes at like 5.30 AM before work. And then 90 minutes in the evening. And it's a fascinating world. I'll stop there. It's a fascinating world, but that was what I did for a while. Um, and then how did you get out of it? How, what, what happened to change your, what happened? Yeah, I credit three things that sort of woke me up in there. I think a lot of people were praying for me, Becca. It's like your sister, right? Yeah. My sister-in-law. Yeah. I know sister-in-law Kim. Um, they were praying for me for a long time. Um, like the ladies uh, in the church that I'd grown up in that had sort of raised me. I think they prayed for me for a long time. My family prayed for me for a long time. And I started to run into Christians. I was so sequestered from light at that point in my life. But there were like two people that sort of came through in a very interesting way. And they befriended me. They loved on me. But here's the interesting thing and an exhortation for you, they listened and they prayed 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much what they said, but it was that I started hearing what I was saying for the first time, the, the, the things, the sort of non-dual, um, non-dual, there's no distinction between you and God or me and you. Right. It's like that ultimate reality thinking again, all that stuff, all the Hindu literature and books I was reading and all the philosophies that I was talking about that were contradictory and illogical. They just listened and the Holy spirit in them. And I believe that's what it was, was allowing it to kick back to me. And I was like, okay, this sounds a little off, but I didn't let on. So you guys, you don't have to go to seminary to, uh, obviously to be a powerful <laughs> witness, um, in someone's life, be filled with the spirit and pray, pray for people that are, you know, that you go, uh Oh, you know, this is, this is not quite it. Pray and trust the Lord to enlighten them and allow them to hear what they're saying. That was huge. Number two is kind of what I mentioned with the anxiety over time. I just kind of started to notice, um, things are just getting kind of weirder and worse and kind of the types of yoga I was chasing. It was getting more extreme, like the Kundalini type stuff. Like the, the Hatha yoga is sort of the run of the mill YMCA yoga class that you'll do. You'll see vinyasa flows. That's a little more advanced. Hot yoga is usually some form of that Kundalini. um, Even practitioners of Kundalini warn of, insanity mm-hmm. and mental breakdowns if done wrong. It's this idea of awakening the spine or the serpent at the base of your spine and bringing this energy up into your body. And a lot of people report and like it comes out of your head or something. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like this. Yeah. It's like this hot, warm physical sensation and this power that comes through you. And that's what kundalini's aiming for wow um guys my deliverance process when i came to christ it was not comfortable it was not it was not comfortable um because there's there's a lot going on in yoga and there's a lot of things that you are opening yourself up to that you may not realize so even with the types of yoga i regularly was doing i noticed things are getting worse for me mentally I thought this was supposed to be helping. It's not. I'm I'm spending 15 hours a week on my mat and I feel like I'm getting crazier. <laughs> um, and so that was weird. And the third thing was that I had a family member godly enough and brave enough to call me out for anorexia and orthorexia type oh, wow. tendencies, yeah. but it it was more in pursuit of spirituality. So again, there's this idea in yoga, you're trying to get past the body. You're trying to get past the mind. So there's a lot of cleansing. There's a lot of, this is the right diet. You guys know, I love yeah, nutrition a lot of master diet, cleansing going on master cleansing. Right. But you know, like I'm not eating. I mean, I was really starving my body down. I had a lot, some health issues for years, um, after the Lord healed me and restored me from that. And, um, had to work through that with a therapist, but there that's part of the philosophy. And I bought in you guys, like I completely bought into this whole world. And so I remember going to visit uh, my Grammy and Papa and um, I went with some family members and like, I stopped at whole foods before I went there to get a huge bag of like mung beans and organic food and all this stuff. I'm like, I have to eat my special food. So I can stay on top of my spirituality. (laughs) And like, I went up there and I was in the kitchen for 45 minutes, like blending and making my special food. And I was distracted at the table with people, you know, and I couldn't share the food that they were eating. And after that experience, this family member was like, Hey, you're not okay. This isn't okay. Wow. And that woke me up because you create this world and you're in this world. And that's why I think we don't have a lot of insight into some of the, like the sexual abuse stuff going on 
in the yoga world, it's kind of feels like this special world over here mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to penetrate. There's some weird stuff going on and you get blinded to, I mean, you just get used to it. You get conditioned. Anyway, I'll stop there, Beckett, but. Um, so how did, so, because you just mentioned, how did you end up? I mean, cause I, I met you, I think right after this, but how uh-huh. did you, how did you end up coming to Christ or yeah. coming to faith in Christ? So I had gone to reality LA. My church. Yeah. Um, Tim Chaddock was still there. Yeah. I had been invited there by a colleague in 2012, like Easter of 2012. And I remember going and sitting in a Lotus position, (laughs) asking the universe if Jesus was real because Tim was presenting evidence for the resurrection and he was talking about it as though it was a real historical event. And I was blown away. And so I was like, you know, in my little meditation posture. Okay. So later that year, I'm still kind of doing my thing later that year. Um, like I got married and then a few months later, I'm just living my life. Um, I'm stoned all the time. That was still part of my life. But there was this one day where it felt like my soul was collapsing in on itself. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, everything externally was in a great place, right? It was kind of like you've talked about in your life. I mean, externally, everything looked good, made sense, was great. But I started imploding every, like my mind started imploding. And all I could think to do was go back to that church where they talked about Jesus. I mean, you grew up in that, just go back there. So I did, I, I went back there. Uh, I was living in Malibu at the time. So I drove all the way to Hollywood um, for their evening service and they preached the gospel Yep. and it just clicked and the Holy spirit revealed to me what I had asked, like Jesus is the son of God and God, the son, you are dead in your sin and his grace will cover you and cleanse you and raise you to new life. He was Die. I mean, he was crucified and he was raised from the dead. He is God. You can trust him. And the life that you're seeking is found in him. It's found only in him. Mm-hmm. And I just understood that. I understood that the Bible was God's word, that it was the true and living word, that it was living and active, the sword Amen. of the spirit. You Love know? And I was like, all the things that I, it's like what Dallas Willard writes about in the divine conspiracy. It was right here the whole time, like even going to church as a kid, the gospel, it was like hidden from me. I never saw it, but I saw it when Tim preached. (laughs) Thank you, brother, Tim Chaddock. Uh, But I heard the gospel. I repented and that was major. And Beckett, you were the first person that I remember praying for me after I was born again. Amazing. Was that the same day or was that like the week after or something? It might have been that day. It might have been a few. I can't remember. The yeah, exact I remember day. you kind of. I I think it was. Yeah, you, you walked up to me and. Yeah, I remember. I, I do I you. I distinctly remember that. Yeah. So what I remember, I can't believe you remember that. What I remember is walking up to you. I was probably crying. If anyone knows me, I was probably <laughs> crying, and I walked up to you, and I remember saying something like, "Hi, I'm worldly." I do, I, I do, I do a lot of yoga. And I remember <laughs> you were kind of like, yeah, I know. Come here. And like, you gave me a hug. <laughs> you prayed for me, but um, yeah. Anyway, thank you for that. I distinctly remember that. And um, yeah, so that was coming to Christ. And, you know, I started um, auditing at a Bible college. I just started hearing the word of God at a very deep level, I was so hungry for knowledge. I was so hungry for his word. Right. And I was hungry for discipleship. And, but at the same time as the word was going in, stuff was coming out. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't necessarily have to talk about that, but it was a very 
uncomfortable process of right. being cleansed. And that took a while. And then this is the part that's relevant to what we're talking about. I want you guys to know right after I gave my life to the Lord, I immediately felt itchy with yoga. It just felt itchy. It felt like a sweater that didn't fit, but I couldn't seem to let go of it because it was, you know, how I stayed really thin and I'm an actor and like, you have to do all these crazy things to your body. Um, and I just couldn't seem to let it go. So I had this touch and go relationship with it for a really long time where I'd be like, yeah, this doesn't feel right. And I shouldn't even, if there's even a question that it's hurting my faith, I'm going to let it go. But it would always creep back in always. Mm. I would go back to the studio, but I would do the athletic class. I wouldn't do the weird ones. I just do the athletic class. Uh, I, or I'd get uh, like a DVD and listen to my own music. Cause that's a thing. A lot of these classes, you're listening to really worldly music, very sexual music, right? There is a strong sexual energy in the yoga world. And in fact, when you go really deep in yoga philosophy, it is sexual energy that is being awoken. And that's a whole other conversation, but, um, yeah, it, it just, it just didn't feel right. The music, the vibe, all of it, I couldn't make it fit. And, um, eventually this brings us to where we are now. I was at a dinner, I think a dinner party or a small group dinner with you and some other people. And I just, out of nowhere, I was like, guys, what do you think of yoga? And, <laughs> and I, um, I'm sure I blurted out. It's you did. That's exactly what you said. You're like, it's, it's in. You're like, I think it's in. I go, I think it's in. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, I'm very black. You guys know me. I'm very black and white. I don't mince words. I just was like, no, it's wrong. Get out of it. Leave now. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Uh-oh. I'm not a good listener. I just say um. Heather, but you know what? There is a time and a place for bluntness and clarity. So this is where guys, if you've hung in there and you've got a yoga practice, please listen. Please, please take this in. I pray it blesses you. This is what I you've been on my heart. I've been praying about this. What really changed things for me was when one of the brothers at the party said, Hey, Ray, you know, God is many things, but he's your father. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, and he has feelings for you and your life. He has feelings about your life. Have you ever asked him how he feels about this for you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I haven't. And then he said two other things. The second was, you know, we are in a spiritual battle and we have a dizzying amount of information. We have a dizzyingly global ability to see what's going on, but we are in a spiritual battle and there is an enemy of our souls. Even people that are not yeah. professed Christians know there is something going on, sense this tension and you know, he said, you know, Satan is real and he's got two jobs. The first is to keep you from ever knowing and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ with yep. your life. If he fails at that, his second job is to make your witness ridiculous, to discredit and weaken your witness in any way possible. Right. And that really stuck with me. And then the, th the third thing he said was why don't you just set this aside for two weeks? Just take it off your calendar. Don't quit. Don't feel like, oh, I have to quit because someone at the dinner party said I had to quit. Rebecca said I had to quit. <laughs> don't go that route, right? Don't go the legalistic route because that is not the gospel. Legalism kills. The gospel does not need our help. What he was exhorting me to do was to go to the Lord in relationship. Mm -hmm. And set this thing aside and seek his will by his spirit and in his word. And that's exactly what I did. And I'm going to save the details of that, but I will just say that the Lord responded very clearly. And 
that is the single most faith building moment of my life where my relationship with him went to the next level. My experience, the appropriate level of experience of his spirit and his presence in my life went to the next level. My desire to obey him and to grow in his kingdom and to be set apart and sanctified, brought out of the world, uh, to be transformed by the renewal of my mind. All of these things just went to the next level in that experiment mm-hmm. that I did. And you guys, the anxiety has gone. So here's the good news. We've been, we've been uh, hammering on yoga all, all day, but the good news is the things in my life at the time that were burdens, things I've been praying about, things that were not resolving, things I could not get traction on in my faith and in my spiritual life. When I definitively, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in total love with Jesus, laid the yoga aside completely in mm-hmm. all of its forms and all of its associated philosophies, all of it, all of those little issues that I've been dealing with, they just disappeared overnight. Praise and they have not come back. God. I love that. Well, <clears throat> that's a good place to stop. We we've gone kind of over time, but I love it. All right, uh, I tend to this, do that. I'm no, sorry. Th- no, this is a great conversation <laughs> to have. It's a really important one. But thank you, Ray, for telling it for helping us understand this, helping us understand yoga, helping us understand, you know, your story and and for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Beckett. God bless you guys. Thank God you. bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. 